Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. Here we dream revival and serve people with love. Today, Pastor Preeti continues to teach from the healing series on how we are not qualified for healing, but yet it's God's goodness that He is more than willing to heal us. May your focus today remain on the goodness of God. For this morning, let's go to Psalm. 68 and we'll begin with verse 1 onwards are you ready let's read this together 1 2 3 go rise up o god and scatter your enemies let those who hate god run for their lives this this is a a prayer that the psalmist is praying a declaration something prophetic that he is speaking he says rise up o god and scatter your enemies scatter your um enemies those that oppose you those that oppose your work let them be scattered there are enemies in your body there are enemies in your system there are enemies in, in in your workplace in the culture around you there are enemies that the lord wants to scatter it will happen only and only when you and i we exalt and and cause god to be be risen up in our life we we want solutions that does not involve god being exalted we want solutions that Well, can can come through just by our you know methods and our tactics and our routines and our rituals I, if i do this 10 times a day no you you want the enemies of god to leave your home you need to exalt god in your home you want the enemies of god to leave your body you need to exalt god in your body it says when god will rise up all of his enemies will scatter away do you know that cancer is an enemy of god yes. come on somebody yes. do you know that every sickness is an enemy of god yes. do you know that every tumor is an enemy of god every every struggle that the enemy births in your body in your relationship it's an enemy of god and you have to treat it like an enemy you cannot treat it like a friend who is here like you know he'll be here for 10 days and then go off no you have to you have to be violent in protecting what belongs to you like if if a thief would come and tell you i would like to stay in your home only one night okay by tomorrow morning i will be out one sleep no this headache will go no you know people tell you that lie you just sleep one night's rest then it'll be all right you cannot tolerate those things you cannot say no 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 this is an enemy i cannot tolerate this for a night i need to get rid of this right now in jesus name let god arise and let his enemies scatter let god arise and let his enemies scatter it says those who hate god let them run for their lives that is that is the declaration the psalmist is making what he's saying is i am not going to allow this god hating thing in my church in my city in my nation i'm not going to allow this god hating thing in my family i'm going to declare let those who hate god every system every corruption of flesh that hates god let it run for its life verse 2 the bible says blow them away like smoke melt them like wax in a fire let the wicked 
perish in the presence of God. So right now we are going to declare this prophetically over those people that have something in their bodies that need to be melted. Right now we are declaring, Lord, blow them away. How much, how much effort does it take for God to blow away something like a smoke? Come on, look at your sickness like that, okay? Look at your sickness not as something that you will conquer with science and technology and with 30 years of going through pain. No, no. It is smoke that God can blow it away with one breath. The Lord says, if I would just blow them away. The Lord is waiting for instructions from the church. Yes, you heard me right. We, we, want, we want to receive instructions from God. But as God has said, hey, you speak and I will do it. Whatever you command, whatever you declare, whatever you agree and you speak, I'm going to do it. And here is a man of God who has the guts to stand up and say, God, blow them away like smoke. How you would get rid of vats in a fire. Like how when fire comes, how vats begins to melt. Lord, let it melt away in Jesus' name. It says, let the wicked perish in the presence of God. See, this morning we are not talking about human enemies. We are talking about spirit enemies. Spirits that, that flow down generation to generation. That try to keep you enslaved to the same thing that your father was slave to. That your grandfather was slave to. And today we are saying, no, let the wicked, this wicked spirit, let it perish. Where? In the presence of God. When we, when we exalt God. When we exalt his presence, when we exalt the name of Jesus, let everything that is wicked, let it perish right there in the presence of God. The presence of God is the fire that melts the the wicked, that melts the tumors, that melts every hormonal imbalances. It is the presence of God that melts it. Verse 3, it says, but let the godly, come on now. But let the godly rejoice. rejoice. The wicked will perish. The wicked will run away. The wicked will be scattered. But there are godly things in my life. There are godly uh, things that I, I am proud about. You know, I, I want you to categorize everything in your life in these categories. Is this, is this wicked or is this godly? Is this an enemy of God or is this a friend of God? All your characteristics or your abilities or your inabilities, okay? Even your inabilities, your struggles, you can characterize this and say, this is, a, this is a godly thing. This is bringing glory to God. So let this rejoice. Let this flourish. This, on the other hand, this is, this is a pain for me, for my church, for my people. I mean, this is, this is hurtful to the name of God. Let this perish. But everything that is godly, Everything that is exalting God, let that rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. I, I like the fact that tonight, this morning's service was about joy and, and, and worship and dancing in, in the presence of God. And, you know, if, if that irks you, you probably don't belong in this category. Come on now. I'm sorry for hurting you. What does it say? What does it say? What is the previous verse? What is the previous verse? Go back to the previous verse. Verse 2. It says, 
the wicked, what do you do with the wicked? Blow them away, melt them off, let them, let them get out, let them run away. But what should the godly do? It says, let the godly rejoice and let them be glad and let them be filled with joy. It, it doesn't say that when you're filled with joy or when something's happen, that, that you, know, you will be filled with joy, like you get a promotion or you get a blessing and then you will be filled with joy. That's not what it says. It says, you be filled with joy because you are in the presence of God, because you have God's the access to God's heart, the access to God's presence, that is enough to make you be full of joy. And as you remain there, rejoice. As you remain there, be glad and let your joy overflow. And you know, I know that on Sundays, many of us, we, we are not prepared with uh, dancing clothes. You know, if you, if you wear heels and if you wear a jacket and you know, that, you know, you know, slim fit is in fashion now, right? It's, you know, you, you want to be in the fashion, but at the same time, you, you want little freedom, right? And the godly will always find a way even to dance in the midst of all of this. Amen? We, we cannot come to church and be sad. We cannot be in the presence of God and, and still be meditating on our problems. Most of us, when we cry in the presence of God, it is for the wrong reason. Do you know this? You know, when you're crying in the presence of God, what are you meditating on? Not the goodness of God, but your failures, but your problems. You know who you're worshipping? I don't have to tell you that. I'm sorry to tell you. Hey, I'm not saying you cannot pour out your heart before God. You can. You can. You should. You, you are welcome to come and, you know, pour out your tears at the feet of Jesus. But I want you to understand, the presence of God doesn't only give you a place to open up your heart. It is also a place where you're commanded to now rejoice. And, and that is a place where there is an exchange. There is a transfer. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden. Come and give me your burdens and, and let there be an exchange. Take my burden upon you. When the burden of God comes upon you, that requires you to rejoice. That requires you to be happy. That requires you to have a lifestyle that the enemy will be jealous about. That your enemies will, will scatter when you're happy. They will scatter when you make some noise. They will scatter when you shout hallelujah. They will scatter at the sound of victory in the house of God. Wherever the presence of God is, there has to be rejoicing that accompanies that presence of God. Come on now. We cannot be satisfied with just, you know, a surface level worship. We have to take our worship deeper. Verse 4, Psalm 68 and verse 4. It says, sing praises to God and to his name. See, it's, it's almost, you know, meaning to say it's two different things. Praises to God and to his name. It's almost trying to explain that you can praise God and you can praise his name. You know, the name of Jesus, the name of God is so powerful that people that don't even have a relationship with this God can still use his name and be successful. 
That is why Jesus said, many will come to me on the last days and said, that I healed in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we did all of this in your name, and then I will tell them, wait, I don't know you. So, so we can praise his name and not still praise him. So that's why the songwriter says, hey, why don't you sing praises to God and even to his name? The name of the Lord, what it does is it unpacks the power that is hidden in that name. We studied that. The different names of God, we were meditating on it. Yeah? Hallowed be your And the Bible says, sing praises to God and to his name. Sing very, very unheard praises or very whispering praises. No. Sing loud praises to him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord rejoice in his presence. See, the, the psalm begins with a declaration for the enemies of God to scatter. And then it tells you, this is your obligation, church. You need to now rejoice. You need to now sing to him. You need to let loud praises come out from your mouth and, and rejoice in his name. Celebrate his name. Celebrate this person. And, and his name is the Lord. See, Something about the name, the Lord or Yahweh, I taught you this, but I'll just give you a quick revision. Every time we say the Lord or Yahweh, it is talking about a relative God, a, a, a relatable God, a God that wants to have a relationship with us, okay? But when it comes to just God, the creator, you would see the name God or Elohim. Like I was reading the book of Amos, and it, this is what it says. Hey, to Israel, I am Lord, and to his neighbors, I'm God. So, so God is now, you know, it's the same verse, okay? And to Israel, God says, I am a personal, I'm in a personal relationship with you. But even to Israel, God is upset. But God is saying, hey, I'm upset, but I'm still in a relationship with you. But to the neighbors that were hurting Israel, God says, no, 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 I am God. I am almighty. I am able to smash you. See, here when God is upset with Israel, it's a different relationship altogether. It's a relationship of a wounded lover. You know, God would say it multiple times in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. God would say, Israel is my wife, my bride. So when God says, I'm upset with Israel, God is saying, I am still the Lord. And I'm upset with you. I, am, I, I, I can't allow this in our relationship. But when it comes to others, there are other things. You know, there are, there are things that in your life that God doesn't have a relationship with. There are those sicknesses in your body that God doesn't want to have a relationship with. But to those things, God says, I am God over them. But to you, I am the Lord. I am I'm somebody that has a relationship with you. The Bible says his name is Yahweh or the Lord. Let's rejoice in his presence. Verse 5. His father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling place is holy. Do you remember what I mean by saying he's a relatable God? He's saying that he's father and he's a defender of those that don't have anybody else. This is a good God that we are talking about. This is a God whose mercies never fail us. Even when we fail him, he never fails us. 
Even when we give up on him, he doesn't give up on us. The next scripture, it says, verse 6, God places this holy God, this father God, this defender God, what does he do? He, he finds lonely people and he places them in families. He picks them up from different parts of the world, from different communities, from different cities. And he, and he says, hey, wait, there is a family of God here in Hennur. Let me place them in this family. You're not supposed to do your life by yourself. You can if you would like to. Adam could have lived all by himself in the Garden of Eden. But God said it's not good for him to be alone. Wait a minute. You know, Adam has no sin in him. But still God looked at him and said, it's okay. It's not good for you to be alone. Let me give you a family. And so God places the lonely in families. So even if you're satisfied with your, you know, isolated, living by yourself, independent lifestyle, the Lord has blessed you with a family. So make good use of that family that God has given you. You know, use one another's relationship and, and love this uh, church. Love the people that God has blessed you with. The Bible says he sets the prisoners free and he gives them joy. How? In the family, in the house, in the, in the community that he places them in. There he sets the prisoners free. When they are part of that family, it says that he sets the prisoners free and he gives them joy. But he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. It doesn't say the sinners. It doesn't say the greedy people. It doesn't say that, uh, you know, the, that if you have a problem with pride or lust. And, no. But if there are rebellious people. See, if there is one thing God has had a problem with from the beginning of time, from Lucifer onwards, is rebellion. Whenever God sees rebellion, no matter how much he is, uh, you know, somebody else must have done a bigger sin. When God sees rebellion, that's, that's a no-no for him. He will immediately punish it. And the Bible says he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. The same God that places lonely people in families, the same God who is a father to the fatherless and a defender to the widows, the same God who is holy, it says he, he makes the rebellious disconnect from everything else and, and live in a sun-scorched land. So today, the Lord is calling us to a place where, where we will yield our hearts to submit to him, to submit to the families that God has given us. Give me the next verse. Verse 7, it says, O God, when you lead your people out from Egypt, when you marched through the dry wasteland, verse 8, the earth trembled and the heavens poured down rain before you. The God of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel, verse 9, you send abundant rain, O oh God, and you refresh the weary land. Now, it's giving a little bit of context. And it says, when these guys left Egypt and they, and they were brought out, okay, they were for a long period in the wilderness. And it says, in, in spite of all of that, in, the, in spite of them being in the wilderness, you remember the previous verse, the context is that the rebellious will be put into a sun-scorched sun land or in the wilderness. That's the other version of that same scripture. And here it says, but when your people came through the wilderness, you sent abundant rain. 
in terms of the manna, the quail that came. You, you sent abundant rain and you refreshed the weary land, the land that is sun-scorched, the land that is hurting, the land that is broken. You refresh that land so that the land can now produce fruit. Give me verse 10. We'll finish with verse 10. It says, there your people finally settled and with a bountiful harvest, O God, you provided for your needy people. With a bountiful harvest. You know, the other version says, with your goodness, you satisfied them. With your kindness, with your rich, unfailing love, you settled them and you satisfied them. You caused them to be rooted in that place. You caused them to be settled in that place where you sent rain. Amen? Now this morning, I, I, I just want to focus on this particular aspect of God, where God says, hey, I know that there are going to be seasons in your life where you are going to run away like the Israelites did. There are going to be seasons in your life when you're going to tolerate the enemies in your body, in your life, in your church, in your homes. But in spite of all of that, what I'm promising is that I'm going to still lead you I'm going to still give you rain. I'm going to still be good to you. I'm going to still be kind to you. I'm going to be still merciful to you. Many a times, the reason why we fail to receive what God wants to give us is not because God doesn't want to give us those things. It's because we can't really believe that God can be this good. We can't, our minds, it doesn't make sense. This is not what my father would do. This is not what my professor, my teacher would do. This is not what my pastor would do. How can God be so forgiving? How can God be so merciful? How can God still send rain after me having rebelled so many times? How can God be so good in spite of all of this? How can God be so good? Let, let's, let's go to this story. This is the book of Luke chapter 6 and we'll read this particular story on another sabbath day a man with a deformed right hand he was in the synagogue while jesus was where was he he was in the synagogue jesus came to the synagogue to teach and when he was teaching there was this man with a deformed hand the other translation says withered hand a hand that is deferred, that is, you know, um, gone back, you know, that is twisted, you know, that's for whatever reason, whatever problem he had in his nerves, now it's deformed, you can't use that hand. It is a hand which doesn't have any sensation. It is a hand that is disconnected from the rest of the body. And the Bible says this man, he was in the same synagogue while Jesus was teaching, okay? Verse 7, the Bible says, the teachers, what are they doing? The teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, they watch Jesus closely. For what? For what sermon he is preaching? What were they looking for? Their eyes was on Jesus and their eyes was on the man's hand. Their eyes was on this failure that this man had. This, their eyes were on the brokenness, this failed marriage, this failed business, this failed institution. Their, their eyes, it's caught their attention. The reason being that 
hey, Jesus is here and this failure is here. And because of that, this failure has caught the attention of the religious people in the church. All the religious people started focusing on that and talking about it and, and they are now WhatsApping about it, taking pictures about it. You know, their, their focus is not only on Jesus, it's also on your failures. Church, if, if when people magnify your failures, it's a, it's, it's a sign that God is about to do something. When people begin to gossip about you, don't run away from that situation. See, this withered man had the option and said, wait, 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 people are looking at me, this is ugly. I mean, I already feel bad, you know. And even in church, if people are looking at my deformed hand, it's not a, it's not a great place to be. He could have, he had the option to run out of that place. But he stayed there. He said, man, Jesus is here. I don't care who is looking at me. I don't care of all the elder brothers that are judging me right now. I know that I'm in the presence of Jesus. I know that I'm here with my need. I don't care about who says what. I'm here and I will stay here till the end. Till my hand becomes straight. Till I receive the attention of Jesus. I'll stay here. It says the Pharisees, instead of only looking at Jesus, they were looking at the problem. Okay? So, so when, when your problem gets unnecessary attention from the people around you, don't don't be bothered by it. You know, just say, Lord, I know that you, 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 you will never fail me. Amen. I know that in spite of what I go through, in spite of what I feel, in spite of all the rejection, all the betrayal, all the hurt, all the hypocrisy, even in the church. You know, those of you who've come to church hoping that this is like the best place on earth, meet me afterwards. I'll, I'll tell you all of the things that you're in danger of. Trust me, seriously, it, it, it's there everywhere, you know. And, and plus, the, the problem is that when we see this and we, we, we just brand everybody as wrong. We just brand everybody, okay, I'm never going into a church again. I'm never going into a, a system again. And here there are Pharisees. It says these Pharisees, they are looking at the wrong thing. They should be looking at Jesus who is teaching the word right now. It says they were looking closely to see if Jesus would heal this man's hand. Their purpose was to, to accuse Jesus of now working on the Sabbath. Okay? Do you know that one of the reasons why there was an exile of people in Judah and Israel all the way to Assyria and to Babylon was because they didn't keep Sabbath. There was a rule that they should keep Sabbath every seven days, every seven years, and every seven times seven years. That is, after 49 years, the 50th year had to be a, a year of jubilee, a year of rest. And, the, and they never obeyed these instructions that God gave them, because of which God had to exile these guys. This is a very serious commandment in the Old Testament, that you have to keep the Sabbath. You cannot do work on the Sabbath. Now, what, what these guys are doing is they have fixed their eyes on Jesus and they have fixed their eyes on the problem to see if Jesus is going to fix this problem on a day that he shouldn't, in a way that he shouldn't, in a route that is not religious enough, in a route that is not, you know, appreciable. They are, they, they are just waiting to see some action. Verse 8, the Bible says, but Jesus knew their thoughts. Do you know... 
Jesus didn't heal this guy for this guy's sake. I let that sink in. There were people that Jesus healed because of their faith. There are others that Jesus healed to just get back at the Pharisees. So when you have enemies coming at you, when you have people talking ill about you, when you have people being jealous of you, upset of you, looking at you in the wrong way, don't be upset of them. Just say, I, I know I, I serve the defender and the father, the one that places the lonely in homes, the one that fights my case. He's the one who gives me a bountiful harvest. His goodness, it will never fail me. His goodness will cause me to be settled. So when there is a penina that is making fun of you, Hannah, that is, for, that is a sign that you have to rejoice. That is a sign that you have to give a special offering to that penina. You have to be happy when your Pharisees make fun of you because... If your prayers don't reach heaven, your enemy's taunts does reach heaven. When your prayers don't make a lot of sense to you or to God, there are words that are being spoken behind your back that God will come searching for, that God will come to take an avenging for. The Bible says God was so upset with David for, a, for the sake of a Uriah. God was so upset with an Ahab for the sake of a Naboth. And we would think, who is this Uriah? How many churches has he planted? How many prophecies did he give? Who is this Naboth? You know, what, do we, what is so special about this Naboth guy? You know, that God would say, I'm not going to leave one man standing. He, Ahab is the king of Israel, okay? And Naboth is a subject. And God would say, I'm not going to leave one guy standing in your house because of what you've done to Naboth. Can you imagine that God, would, God is the one who fights the case of those that are defenseless? So when somebody mistreats you, that is, that is your opportunity to tap into the favor, the goodness of God that comes for you when... Even when, when you have your own failures and you know that you, know, you cannot succeed in the midst of all of this, but then because of somebody else's taunts, you catch the attention of God. The Bible says Jesus knew their thoughts. Jesus, they, they didn't even open their mouth to speak something, but because they were in the same church, they were under the same roof, Jesus caught the frequencies that were coming from that direction. <laughs> And Jesus is like, today is the day I promote this guy. Today is the day I bless this guy. Today is the day I heal this guy. Today is the day that this man gets exalted. It says, because Jesus knew their thoughts, he said to the man with the deformed hand, come. He gave him prominence. He was probably in one corner, okay? And he said, come, come, come. Stand here in the center. I'll give you some, I'll, 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 you know, make a big deal out of this. He didn't go quietly and heal. See, if it was just about this guy and just didn't want to offend anybody, if it was just to bless this guy, you know, Jesus would say, just meet me after the service, okay? Behind. <laughs> and I will privately pray for you. And Jesus said, no, 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 come, come, stand here in the center. In the midst of my enemies, he knows how to anoint me with oil. In the midst of my troubles, in the midst of my struggles, 
in the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table for me. When my brothers, they look at me, he anoints my head with oil. When my brothers, they taunt me behind the table, saying, who is this David? Who, who does he think he is? Why is he come to this table? The Lord is faithful enough to anoint me with oil in the midst of my brothers, in the presence of my brothers, and even in the presence of my enemies. Jesus said, come, stand here. In the presence of everybody, this man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Are you ready for this question? This question will give us the key to this healing. Okay? Are you ready for this? Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is it a day to save a life or to destroy it? You know, the same story is there in the book of Mark chapter 3, I think, and Matthew chapter 12. Go back and read it. Uh, You will see the story with different illustrations in Matthew, he would record how Jesus would tell them, if your sheep would fall into a ditch, will you not pull it out? If your donkey would go away from your home, will you not bring it back home? Is this not a day to do good? So what Jesus is telling these guys is, it's not about being religious enough to keep this Sabbath or not. It's about whether I can do a good deed or a bad deed on this day. What Jesus was saying is, I want to show off my goodness today. When he healed this guy, it was not an expression only of restoring his hand. It was an expression of Jesus' good deeds, which came out of an overflow of his goodness. You know, this morning as I was praying and I, I was asking God for a word. And, you know, I had this story in my spirit for this last one week. But I didn't know, you know, what is it that God wants me to focus on? I can just preach for the sake of preaching, but I needed to hear what was God speaking from this story. And God said, tell my church that I am a good God. Tell my people that I am too good to fail them. Because it was not, it was not the, the, you know, other characteristics of God that made this healing possible. It was the fact that Jesus wanted to show off his goodness on that day. And that's why he asked his Pharisees, is it okay if I do something good today? I'm not talking about doing work. I'm talking about doing something good. Is it okay if I do something good? Is it okay if I show off my goodness? Is it okay if I show off how great, how loving my father in heaven is? And and, and then Jesus told the man, the, withered, the man with the withered hand, verse 10, he told, he looked around at them one by one and then said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out the hand and as, as he held it out, it was restored. Immediately it was restored. What was this? This was God showing off his goodness to this man. Jesus wanted to just tell this man, hey, you know what? I love you even when you're not expecting him. Even when you're not expecting me to fight for you. Even when you're not expecting me to stand in the gap between you and the Pharisees. I'm going to come because I'm the father to the fatherless. I'm the defender of the widows. I'm the one who places the lonely in families. 
I'm the one who gives bountiful harvest to those that are out in the wilderness. I'm the one who lets the rain fall down on you when you are walking down Sinai, when you're walking down in the wilderness. I'm the one. I have, my eyes have caught your problem. My eyes have caught your problem and I'm a good God. I'm a, I'm a gracious God. I'm a, I'm a kind God. And what I want to do is I want to show off my goodness on this day. Now, the thing is, the Pharisees, they wanted to place a limit to God's goodness. They're like, this far, six days, okay. Not on the seventh day. They wanted to place a boundary and say, God, you can be good, but not at the cost of breaking our tradition. You can be good, but not at the cost of changing the whole system around. You can be good, but, but at the end of the day, we have to live among people, no? We have to be like, act like people in the society. So in this society, we don't do these things on a Saturday, on a Sabbath. In this, this place, they wanted to place a limitation around the goodness of God. And Jesus said, nothing doing. I, I, you know, in fact, the Bible says, the other translation, it says, at this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage, and began to discuss what to do with him. It says that these guys, they were so upset with this healing that they actually went and met with supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Do you know that this healing was one of the reasons for Jesus to go closer to the cross? That this expression of goodness that Jesus did it's not just that they are like, okay, another bad day. But this, this healing was good enough, was so great that this, this, was, this pushed Jesus closer to the cross. Closer to his death, to the reason why he came on the earth. In other words, you know, what Jesus wanted to show off on that day was that, man, you guys... In a million years, you cannot do this on your own. And that's why I'm going to stand with you. That's why I'm going to show my goodness towards you. That's why I'm going to show you that I'm a gracious God. That I'm a loving God. I'm a, I'm a kind God. And I'm going to show off my goodness today. And I know that when I show off my goodness today, you're not even ready to handle it. Because their response to the goodness of God was not to surrender to it. The response to the goodness of God was now to criticize that goodness. Now to criticize, how can God do this? Why will God do this to them and not to me? And why will this happen? Because of which, one group of people, they celebrated this healing. They wrote about this healing. They recorded this healing. They, they spent time researching about this healing. Another group of people, they went and they met with the, uh, with the supporters of Herod to plot how can we kill this Jesus? Come on. Herod's supporters, for example, okay? Can I explain Herod's supporters? Herod was a very vile man. Very carnal man. Was a man who was of, you know, purely flesh-based. Pharisees on the other side, they are purely law-based. Okay? Old Testament, Torah-based. Okay, they are like, this is it, this is how we... But what happened is when the goodness of God, the grace of God was released, no? This law-based guys didn't mind now partnering with flesh-based guys. Yeah. Check this out. See, this is how you know if you are a law-based guy or a spirit-filled guy. When you get provoked, 
Whose support do you run to? Who do you go and attach yourself to? Who do you call immediately? Who do you go and spend your evening with? That will tell me where your true identity is, where your true loyalty is. See, you know, even the disciples of Jesus did get provoked because some of them were very law-keeping people. But they came to Jesus to ask Jesus, how is this? Why is this? Give us, and Jesus would tell them, I am also the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm not just the son of, you know the story, right? Jesus said, the son of man is also the Lord of Sabbath. Jesus didn't tell that to everybody, but he told that to his disciples, to those that came to him for a revelation. But to the others, these guys, as soon as they got provoked, they ran away and they started, you know, plotting the murder of this Jesus who did a good thing. The goodness of God was intolerable for some people. See, for all through our life, we will always have these two options. Either to surrender to the goodness of God or to surrender to the goodness of people that give us, you know, things. Are you willing to trust in the goodness that God wants to give you? See, uh, give me Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6 in the ESV Bible. It's very very strong word that is used there. You know the story of Eve, how the serpent came into the Garden of Eden and, she's, and he started speaking to Eve, okay? It says, so when Eve or the woman, when she saw, what did she see? What did she see about the tree? Come on, read it loud. They saw that, Eve saw that the tree was good for her food. When she saw that the tree is good, come on, this is a woman who has been seeing God every evening. And now the enemy showed her something else that is also now looking good enough. And so the Bible says, when she saw that this was good for food, or when this was good for my eyes. Or this is good for uh, my, my desires. This is good. This, is, this, this connects with me. You know, Pastor, you know, when I, I'm telling you, when I started listening to this music, it, just, it was just connected to my soul. It was so good to, to my soul. That's what the Bible says. Anything that you, you partner with, any goodness that you partner with, in opposition to the goodness that God wants to give you. See, the goodness of God, you know, you, you, you want to put a, you're like, no. As long as God doesn't do it my way, it's not good enough. As long as God doesn't do my thing, it's not good enough. But when Eve saw this fruit, what Eve doesn't realize is that it's not she who is seeing this fruit. It's a serpent who is showing it to her. But it's actually... Recorded as when the woman saw that this was good. Which means that in her eyes, she's not seeing this as a trap. She's seeing this as, oh wow, I had a revelation. You think it is your idea? So many things that we do, we think is our idea. It's not our idea. It was not your revelation. It was planted there. There was a serpent that creeped in in the form of a friend, in the form of a church member, or in the form... Do you know, even if it's a church member, if somebody gives you a good thing that is outside of God, don't receive it. 
because that good thing has the potential now to kick you out of the garden that God gave you to be in. This God, He's a good God. Our ultimate revelation of good is God Himself. If we can come to this God and if we can surrender to His goodness, if we can surrender to His kindness, you know, this, this goodness, this act of goodness, it cost Jesus' life. It was not something that Jesus just, you know, could walk away from. It cost him his life on the earth. You know, this accelerated the death of Jesus. These were things that provoked these Pharisees who now partnered with other flesh-minded people who derogated themselves to now partner with other people. And they together plotted to kill Jesus. But that didn't stop the goodness of God. The goodness of God spoke for us even in the grave. The goodness of God spoke for us even on Resurrection Sunday. The goodness of God is continuing to speak for us on the right hand of the Father. The goodness of God is still being revealed to us day after day after day. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18 and 19. Moses goes to God and says, God, show me your glory. Or show me your glorious presence. Why? Because you read in Psalm 68, wherever the presence of God is, there is joy, there is gladness. When the presence of God is, all the enemies run away. It is in the presence of God that I, I find bountiful harvest. It's in the presence of God that I'm helped. It's in the presence of God that I can rejoice. So now Moses is praying. Moses says, Lord, show me your glorious presence the Lord replied, verse 19. What did God say? I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you and I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone that I choose. This is God saying to the church today. God is saying, do you want my presence? Do you want a revelation of my goodness for you? This is my goodness. This is how it works. I'm going to first give you a revelation of who I am, my name, Yahweh. And then I will show mercy. Then I will show compassion. Then I will show my love. See, this is the Old Testament revelation of God. This is before Jesus came and said, do not murder, do not Give an eye for an eye, you know, forgive people, love your enemies. This is before all of that happened. God is giving a revelation to Moses and through Moses to the whole nation of Israel. God says, here is who I am. Here is my goodness. Moses saw all of God's goodness pass before him. And what did he hear? He heard the name of God, Yahweh. And he heard a name that will bring him compassion that will give him, give him mercy, that will give him forgiveness, that will give him freedom. Today, if, you, if you're in that place where you're confused and you're wondering whether I can, I still qualify for my blessing, you don't. But he will qualify you. Amen. Because of his goodness, he will qualify you. Amen. Do you qualify for a healing? No, you don't. We've all fallen short of God's goodness. We've all fallen short of the glory that we wanted to experience. But because of his goodness, in his goodness, he made a way 
It says in Titus chapter 4, we don't have time to go there. It says, in his goodness, he, he, he died for us. He gave his life up for us. You know, we're going to take the communion in a minute. And I want us to focus on the goodness of God. Not on your failures, not on your withered hand, not on your deformities, not on the things that are going wrong in your life. But I want you to focus on the goodness of God and say, Lord, I know that I, I couldn't have come this far. I know that I couldn't have received your love. I know that I couldn't have um, ever qualified in my own to, to receive your blessing. But, but I'm still so blessed. I'm still here in your presence. And I, I surrender to that goodness. Instead of running to a tree for an answer, instead of running to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I surrender now to you. Thank you for tuning in for today's sermon. We hope it blessed you. Do visit us at dreamingrevival.com for more information. You are welcome to tune in every Sunday for a live celebration service at 11 a.m. on YouTube slash Pastor Priji. God bless you and have a blessed week.